0: Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast today. You're going to hear from Coach Jeff Conaway. He's the head football coach at Shallow Christian School in Springdale, Arkansas, an incredible football program. He's married to Melissa. They have three kids, but just an incredible man of God, just a heart for discipleship, a heart for seeing young men follow Christ with everything. And just modeling that and pouring into them. So I, I can't wait for you to hear from Jeff. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Jeff. Yeah, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. You bet. So I always like to start these off with some background information. So if you don't mind, just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, maybe where you grew up, your family growing up, and then a little bit about your family today.
1: Well, I grew up or I was born in in Missouri, in the Boot Hill. And my, uh, my parents ended up getting a divorce early in my childhood, and I think that plays right along with my story and with what I'm doing right now. And so my brother remarried to a godly man, and uh, we moved to Arkansas. And I, I really grew up in the, in the town of Perigold, which is not too far from Arkansas State in Jonesboro, Arkansas. grew up there, and my stepdad had us in church. And that was just something that we did. We didn't take that overboard, if you will. We didn't have the Bible times inside the house. We prayed before meals and we were at church and that was the expectation. And there wasn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in an environment that uh, was destructive. My parents got along. They worked hard every day. There wasn't uh, things inside the house that were not the things of God. We just weren't overly invested either. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that set a really good foundation in my life. My dad was a believer as well and he's one of those men that he knew scripture and his dad was a Pentecostal pastor um, and so oh wow I, I definitely grew up around uh, the Bible and in going to church and, and having that influence in my life um, from that point when we moved when I was five, obviously um, at age eight, I uh, I was I was sitting, and you may get to this question, but at age eight, I was sitting in a revival at Eastside Baptist Church, and, and Elvis Presley's half brother, Rick Stanley, was Rick the, Stanley. Yeah, and um, I can't tell you what he preached. I just know that the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and I remember being in the balcony and becoming emotional. My mom looked down and recognized that I, I looked different. And she says, do you think you need to go down? And I said, absolutely, I do. And So um, I'll let you get to that question. But uh, born in Missouri, raised in Arkansas, and uh,
0: happy to be in Arkansas now. That's awesome. And married with uh, how many kids y'all have? We have three. I married
1: Melissa Jones out of uh, Sheridan, Arkansas. We met in college. We've got Landry Karras, who is a nine-year-old. My nine-year-old daughter, we've got Ayla Jewell, who is my six-year-old daughter, and then Jones Allen, who is our two-year-old little
0: boy. you got a busy house.
1: Absolutely. There is <laughs> that's, a dull moment.
0: That's awesome. I was able to, you mentioned Rick Stanley. I worked part-time at a church back in the mid-late 90s, and uh, with the youth group, we went on the beach camp, and Rick Stanley was our speaker, so you got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, when he wasn't speaking in our group. And I mean, just what a phenomenal story. And I couldn't imagine at age eight, age nine, like in your case, hearing him preach. I mean, that would have been unbelievable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I just look back over my life and, and although my parents were divorced, there were so many men, there were so many older guys that God placed in my life and poured into me when I needed it the most coaches, especially, but, but even outside just coaches, um, I had two older sisters and a lot of times their boyfriends were godly men that Mm. take me to church on Wednesday night or might, might hold me accountable or share scripture with me. And so I just feel extremely blessed um, just because of the, the the number of, of men that have poured into my life when maybe I didn't have that close relationship with my real dad
0: that's a good reminder too you know as men the importance of discipleship and pouring into other guys because not everybody has that at home that, that, but that's a that's a great reminder yeah. um, so your faith journey I started at age eight kind of walk us a little bit through that
1: okay well I was in my opinion uh, I was a pretty obedient child I never really I don't have a prodigal son story, uh, (laughs) although I had plenty of sin and I had my own, you know, my own areas of of sin that nobody else knew about. I did have, and still do. But for the most part, uh, I lived an obedient life. I wasn't in trouble. I've still to this day at age 39, I I have not had any alcohol. And and I, I don't say that necessarily to brag. I just say that to uh, it just wasn't something that I was ever tempted to do. I never had a temptation to to do it, and, and not that it, you know, you can depending. On, doesn't matter what side of the of the road you're on with that. It was just something that I wasn't affected by. I wasn't affected mm-hmm. by drugs and alcohol, um, and so that was a an interesting part about my upbringing. But football was an idol for me as a football player. I was the quarterback, and and thought you know that. I wanted to be a college football player and all this stuff. And, and I played on a team that wasn't very good. But my junior year, we had a good team. And we started out 2-0, and we were playing the, uh, the team that uh, was actually in the state finals the year before. And, and we were leading. and We were about to beat these guys, and it was late in the game. And I threw a, what looked like a beautiful touchdown pass to our tight end. And um, my running back didn't protect my backside and the defensive end hits me, I get tackled, I tear my ACL, and the tight end drops the football in the end zone. So we ended up winning that game, but that was the last game I played that year. And mm. I believe that it's it's the story of the good shepherd. When the sheep run off, and they mm. have idols and they get distracted, and they don't want to be a part of the flock, and, and, and uh, you know the shepherd goes and gets them and breaks that leg so that they can't run off anymore. And I feel like that's exactly what God did to me. Football was my idol, and my relationship with the Lord was was not number one, and I feel like he took me out of the game of football and placed me right beside him so that I could grow in that intimacy with him. And It was painful, and uh, but I, I do look back on it as one of the most growth seasons of my spiritual life, and so I am thankful for it.
0: Wow, that's a, that's a good perspective because not, not a lot of guys – would look at it that way right I mean especially the quarterback and your goals at the next level but um but and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about faith as we as we go but let's let's talk about your your football because you were able to go on and play some college football at Washita there in uh Arkansas so talk about how you ended up there
1: okay the summer of my senior year I was planning on going to UCA, and I was a I'm not a huge guy. I'm not fast. I don't, you know, I didn't have a lot of the intangible. I was not heavily recruited. I was going to go walk on UCA in Conway Mm -hmm. to a church camp at Washita Baptist that summer. And at the time I was single and I met this brown haired, brown eyed girl and she was going to Ouachita. So Mm. you see the, the direction that I was and then, uh, you know we started dating and sure enough I changed my mind from UCA to Washita and it didn't end up working out um, but I really again I think God knew that I was stupid enough that it was going <laughs> uh, it was going to take something to get me to go there and so I went to Washita and it was an incredible experience as a I walked on the football team there and uh, one of my first few months there on campus one of our teammates, grabs my grabs me by the shoulder and says i'm going to disciple you Mm. and at that point i i thought okay what does what does that mean he said just bring your bible meet me at this place be ready to learn and uh at the time had no idea what kind of impact it was going to make on me but what we did in that group is is he opened up scripture he taught us some things that i've never forgotten and it just laid another really solid foundation in my walk with the Lord. Uh, Josh Floyd was my college roommate. He's the, he, he's the reason that I'm at shallow Christian. Now his dad is pastor, Ronnie Floyd, the president of the okay. Southern convention. And obviously he was the pastor here at our church in Springdale at cross church. Um, but Nathan Wagnon was a, um, teammate of ours from Cabot, Arkansas, who's in the ministry still today. And, and, um, Again, it was just another one of those opportunities where a man jumped into my life and poured the right stuff into to my spiritual life, and so had an incredible four years there at Washita. Got the education, but more than just the education, I really think that I was even more grounded in my spiritual walk because of that campus, the professors, the teachers, the, the, the people that were around me. I really felt like I was sharpened a lot in my college. Years,
0: man, just an, another testimony. Discipleship—it just keeps coming out. That's good, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, a teammate pulling you aside. I don't know many yeah. college kids are going to seek out the younger and go, okay, let's let's sit down and go through the Bible. Right. Even at a Christian university, I mean, that's that's powerful. And then uh, you mentioned you're already in coaching. So, how did? At what point did you feel called, if you will, into coaching?
1: Well, I went the the pharmaceutical route when I got to Washington and I I used to work at a pharmacy, I was a drug deliverer, a prescription that is. Yeah. yeah. So I really wanted to go that route, but I started taking all the classes and realized that uh, maybe coaching was my calling. (laughs) Uh, By the, by my sophomore year, um, I think, I I think that's really when I realized that that's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be around the game. Uh, I had worked at many, camps. I had worked at Canuck, and I knew that I wanted to be around young people even as a high school student. I would work our our coaches football camps and I was very involved with, with a lot of different camps and young people so I think my sophomore year is when I decided to do that and uh, you know it was something that Josh and I we both kind of made that decision at the same time and it would, again. Another another guy that poured into me and really kind of led me into this profession was Josh Josh Floyd and so um, sophomore year is when I made that decision.
0: That's awesome. And talk about uh, your journey. I mean, right now we'll talk about where you are now in a moment, but you know, kind of wh- where, where did you get started and what led you to to shallow Christian?
1: Well, when uh, when Josh and I stopped playing football at Washita, we joined the intramural fields and. Uh, <laughs> We started running, literally, we started running Gus Malzahn's offense because Josh was Gus's first quarterback at Shiloh to win a state title. And so we start running it, and we start putting together our playbooks, and I just just fell in love with the the concepts, the the schemes, the way that we uh, communicated, the terminology, all of those things. And so I really think, as as funny as that may sound, my football knowledge – really started to pick up on the intramural fields at Washtenaw Baptist with the incorporation of Gus Malazon's offense. And so once we graduated, um, I, I volunteered at Arcadia High School for, for one season. And um, I also spent some time as a student assistant at Washtenaw Baptist under Todd Knight. So I got to kind of see both perspectives, the college game and also the, the high school game. And then a year out, Josh got the head coaching job at Shiloh. So he's 23 Mm. years old. He went back to to Shiloh to be the head coach and I went with him. And so we're young, we're 23 years old, think that we know a lot, but we really, we didn't know anything. And uh, our first game that next fall was against Rick Jones at Greenwood high school, who he had just gotten there. You know, he'd been there now 16, 17 years. He just took a job at Missouri with Eli Drinkwitz, but uh, won seven or eight state championships there Needless did we know that we were about to go up against the Oklahoma Hall of Famer and an Arkansas Hall of Famer and Rick Jones, but um, got there at Shiloh and and really it was just an incredible opportunity for me to grow professionally, grow spiritually. I was newlywed and so grow in our marriage and and very thankful for those first four years out of college uh, to be at a place like Shiloh that took great care of us and, and taught us how to love our wives and taught us how to love our profession and do it the right way.
0: And so, I mean, you, you left after a few years and then you came back and and now you're the, the, the head coach to talk about being the head coach at a place like shallow Christian. I mean, you've mentioned the name Gus Malzahn. I mean, head coach at Auburn now coach there. Uh, Those that aren't familiar, Josh Floyd, highly successful coach in Alabama now, um, so talk about following guys like that at a, such a storied school.
1: You know, it, it really is so awesome. I mean, it, it's it's such a tradition-rich school. And it's not that they only take football seriously. It's a school that it tries to excel in everything that they do. Mm-hmm. The standard is not we want to be good. The standard is we really want to excel and, and be glorifying with everything that we do. We don't want to please man. We want to please the Lord. And so that's why it's such a great place to work is because everything that we do, there's such a standard of excellence and our president and our principals, they're, they're always chasing excellence, not necessarily to be better than everybody else, but to be our best. And when you mm-hmm. can find an administration that wants to be the best, not so that they can win games solely, although that is important. Don't get me wrong but they want to be the best because they know that what we do here is making an impact in the kingdom. Um, it's, it's just a very special place to be and following guys like Gus on Chris Wood, Josh Floyd, you know, Josh won 99 games, in 10 years. And so four state championships. And so they'll tell you, if you listen, don't replace that guy. Well, I was the guy that replaced, you know, the legend and um, it's been good. The, the, Community, the people, the Shallow family has accepted me, knowing that I'm not him, I'm not Gus, I'm not Josh Floyd, I'm, I'm Jeff Conway, and I'm going to do my best to to use the resources that we have and to love on our kids. And, um, the biggest three things that I feel like I have to do in my job in order to not get stagnant is. Um, my my Christ-likeness or my character has to be continuously growing. My competency has to be continuously growing. My connection with our kids and our our parents has to continually grow. And if I'll just do that, we're going to put a great product on the field and we're going to make sure our parents appreciate why they're sending their kids to
0: Shiloh. How long have you been the head coach? I've been the head coach now for six years. Oh, wow, okay. So started there at a relatively young age for, um, you know, coaching wise as a, as a head coach. I usually ask a lot of coaches about the role their faith plays, but obviously coaching at a Christian school, it's it's up front. Um, so talk about what it's like to be at a Christian school, maybe from a discipleship standpoint.
1: Well, I think. You know, I've been at both. I've been at Shiloh now twice, and I've been in a public school for six years. I went back to Green County Tech where I grew up and coached there. And there's a lot of similarities if you want there to be similarities. I felt Mm -hmm. like some of the things that I learned my first four years at Shiloh, I, I went and implemented them at Green County Tech. And it was a public school, and we did some of the same things. Now, I think it's more difficult now to probably do some of those things. And it seems like with every year, it does get more difficult. But I think the thing that we do at Shiloh is, you know, we're not heavily involved in FCA and, I, and that's that's not a negative, but it's just because we do so much other things. Uh, we, you know, we're connected to a church, and, uh, but I, I think it does, op- it opens up opportunities for us as coaches to truly disciple our guys. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're doing right now that we're really excited about is our coaches, starting last July, went through a nine-month discipleship plan that it was hands down the most productive study that I've ever gone through. It wasn't simply a Bible study. It was a literal, here's how you get close to the Lord, and here's how you abide. And the name of that is Journey. And we just started a few weeks ago taking our players through it. And so last night, he and our strength coach, Tyler Weddle, We get on a Zoom call with 10 of our players because every coach has a group of 10 to 12 guys. And we spent an hour last night just going through the study, talking about Scripture, praying for each other, uh, sharpening each other. And so when you talk about discipleship, we're able to do it at a very, very high level at Shiloh. It's it's almost expected, whereas in the public school, it's probably not expected. But I still believe you can do it in the private school just like you could do it in the public school uh, you might not it might not be exactly the same but I, I do feel like there's opportunities for discipleship in both
0: locations absolutely one more question about being there shallow so I mean lots of success So how does a guy like you I mean how do you balance the success with humility
1: it's I, I really don't think it's hard for me because I remember being two and eight you mm. know I I remember I can remember my last year at Green County Tech being so depressed because we just we weren't very good. And part of that was my fault. Probably a lot of that was my fault. Uh, and I had a conversation with my wife. She she told me one day, she said, you either need to get up and go find something else to do or you need to get happy with the job you currently have. And it was a, you know, that that was an eye opener. And so I did, I got on my hands and knees at some point after that. And I just said, God, I will be a two and eight coach if you want me to be, and I'll be the best two and eight coach I can possibly be. Um, And and I really did kind of turn my, my, my spiritual life around at that time. And it wasn't three months later that this job came open. Mm. I told her nobody would ever hire a two and eight coach. Well, shallow was crazy enough to hire a two and eight coach. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it, it really was, it, it, to me, it's not very difficult to there's times. Yes. When I'm proud of what we've accomplished, but I know at the drop of a hat, we could be two and eight and everybody wanting to get rid of me. So I know it's not me. God has placed me in this position to direct and do my best. But um, Exaltation doesn't come from the East, West or the desert. God is the, you know, he's in control of that. he raises one up and brings down another and I, I believe that's so true. He could do that to me at any time, so I try my very best to remain grateful for the job I have i'm I'm replaceable uh, there's there's plenty of coaches that could come in and do the job better than me, and so I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful to be coaching at shallow Christian.
0: Let me ask you you you' talked about your wife, um three kids and the demands to be a head coach is pretty high. So how do you balance that with being a head coach, husband, and dad?
1: I wish I had a great answer because I do think that's a weakness of mine. Um, Mm -hmm. It is something that I do believe I've gotten better at. My wife has told me more than once that this year I was much better. Uh, So during the season – she knows that it's seasonal, and I think what we try to do is we try to include them as much as possible. She comes out to practice, she brings the kids, and that's, that's me communicating with her that that's important, and so she does that. We have some family events after every Friday night home game. We'll get all of our families together, and we'll have a big meal together on campus, and then we'll hang out with the wives and kids, and then they go home, and we finish grading the film that night. We give our coaches off on Saturdays, which has mm. not always been the case. And that has been tough for me, but we've done that the last two years, and that's been a huge blessing for our family time. We try to really narrow down our time on Sunday. We start working about 1 o'clock on Sunday, and we try to get in and out as quickly as we can. But really, uh, it is. It's a struggle, and so I've got to find those opportunities to – when I can find some quality time with the kids and with the wife, I've got to make the most of it. I don't always do that, but I think it is something, like I said, it, as you, as you grow in your spiritual walk, and as you grow as a professional, you figure out ways to make the most of those times. I don't hunt golf or fish. and So that helps. Um, at least I'm not doing those things. Um, instead of doing those things, I'm either doing some football or I'm spending time with the family. And so there's sacrifices that we have to make. And if We are uh, going to make those sacrifices sometimes. The hunting, the fishing, the golfing need to be the first activities that, that leave.
0: That's right. That's good. Yeah, because um, I, I started to play golf when uh, my kids were real young, and I learned very quickly that it wouldn't be good for family if I did. Right. Yeah, <laughs> because absolutely. It's, it's, it's time-consuming. I'm not knocking guys that do. But I just know the way I am, you know, if you're going to improve, it's going to take a lot of time. And so I just right. knew it just it wasn't, it's not worth the time. So at least that's my and plus I'm that terrible. for me. Yeah.
1: Plus, I'm terrible. So it makes that even easier for me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, I was going to leave that part out on my golf experience, but <laughs> um, it sounds better if you're choosing family. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this next one, it, you know, it's probably not a huge issue where you are, but. There's a lot of talk or has been about, you know, the way coaches have to coach, quote unquote. Um, There was a deal, I don't know, a few months ago, went all over social media about all coaches, coaches, cuss and degrade. And you had the Tony Dunges, those guys coming out saying that is so far from true. So how do you balance as a coach though? I mean, you talk about striving for excellence You know, so there is that coaching them hard, but how do you balance that degrading and coaching?
1: I've always been against it. My coaches growing up, my high school coach Gene Weeks, who's now superintendent, he never cussed at me. I was his quarterback and I did a lot of things wrong, but he never he never did that. And so I've never done it. And I really believe Matthew twelve thirty-six that says we're going to be accountable for every careless Mm -hmm. day. Uh, so I've never done it and it's easy for me to get on here and and quote scripture and act like I can give the wrong impression too I can make it sound like I'm super spiritual and and never make mistakes that's not true at all but uh, my coaches and my players will tell you that I I don't use language never have hope to never will Um, so I don't don't believe in that I think what we do with our parents and this kind of goes along with possibly a a future question that you're going to ask but we're very big on teaching the 2 Timothy 3:16 model where every, you know, scripture is for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We use that. So when we have our parent meeting, we 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 put that on the screen and we tell them, here's how we're going to coach your kid. We're going to teach them first and we're going to do that by way of position meeting. We're going to show them on the board, we're going to show them on film, we're going to teach them the drill or the concept. We're gonna go out on the field and your son's probably gonna mess up. Well then we're gonna rebuke him. And here's how we're gonna rebuke him. We might raise our voice, we may, we may yell and scream because we want him to get it. We might get frustrated. We might go up to him and coach him softly, but rebuke is going to take place and then we're gonna correct it. We're gonna show him here's what you did wrong, here's what you're supposed to do, and then we're gonna train the heck out of it. We're gonna get as many reps on the grass as we possibly can. So Feel like we have to take a biblical approach to that. We tell our coaches we want to we want to praise loudly. We want to correct softly. And again, that's not always the case. I get loud, my coaches get loud at times, but for the most part, that's how we've set up our environment and our atmosphere to coach our kids.
0: I like that. You know, as, even as a dad, you know, that's that's a good good four words right there. Praise loud, correct soft. Cause mm-hmm. I know it's so easy just to, even like I said, even as a parent to, to go the opposite. Yeah.
1: Um, One thing I've learned too, um, this goes right along with the journey. We're sitting around the table. We met every Thursday for about an hour and a half with our staff. And we had a facilitator, a guy that was leading us through this discipleship plan. And I said, Mark, I, I just want to get to where I'm not angry on the sideline because mm-hmm. I'm very calm and I get complimented all the time about staying calm and, I don't get on the officials and I don't yell at kids, but on the inside, man, there's times when I'm just really mad. Hmm. Who was it, but me, but I'm angry. And I said, I, I get really angry. And he said, Jeff, you can't do it without the spirit. And that's something that I'm learning right now is if the, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians two or Galatians five love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those aren't ours. The only way that those will be, fruit in our lives is if we let the spirit do it because um, those are the fruits of the spirit. And so I I really feel like the only way I can truly do this right is when I am allowing the spirit to fill me, when I am abiding with Jesus, I'm allowing the spirit to live in me and through me. And and that's hard to do, but I, I know that on Friday nights when I'm doing that the right way, I'm producing a whole lot more fruit than I am anger and, uh, you know, that's that's just one of the big things that we're learning as we go through this journey process.
0: We talked about it just last night as we we're recording this last night, we had a first just this idea that everybody kind of dealing with this coronavirus, having some downtime. We just invited some coaches on Zoom and just kind of talked through um, encouraging spiritually. There's been a lot of football clinics going on. Um, so we thought, you know, what what if we just invited guys on and we talked about, you know, using this time to to recharge, to refill, because you, you lead better when you're leading from the overflow. Amen. You, you know, amen. and so that was kind of what the, something that God's been working on me, um, even, even as a husband and a dad, is that yeah. I'm better when I'm overflowing. Right. Versus trying to pour from that empty cup, you know, analogy. And so, yeah, that's, I, I love that. What you were saying is, you know, if you're filled up, then it's going to come out, no matter where you are, no matter the circumstance, whether it's winning or losing.
1: Yeah, I try, and, and I really feel like I feel like I did less this year. And I don't know yeah. that sounds bad, but I think I took a step back, and I I allowed God to do more, and I allowed myself to do less, and it was such a relief, and I didn't get in the way as much, and it was just a it was a good healthy season. And I really think it was because I, I let go of some of the control and I allowed God mm. and I to God and I prayed differently. And I just feel like God blessed it because I, I kind of gave it to him and he did a lot of work. So he, he deserves all the credit for this year.
0: <laughs> and I'd probably produce a lot more peace at home.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: Better rest, you know, because no. yeah, that's, that's good. That's a good word. So this next question, um, You know, we live in a divided culture, and this is not meant to get political, but there's a lot of division, whether it's race, socioeconomics, religion, politics, but sports has this unique ability to kind of tear down those walls. So in your experience, whether it's playing and or coaching, how have you seen football, in your case, just kind of take away those dividing walls?
1: Well, I think we're still in America, and we still love football and a lot of people tune in, whether it's showing up on Friday nights or watching college football or involved in some sort of the NFL, football is still an avenue that attracts. And I think it attracts because there's not a whole lot of activities and events that are building up men anymore. A lot of times it just feels like we're trying to do just the opposite. And I think it is, it's It's a great game, it's as safe, as it has ever been. I think it's as well taught as it has ever been. And I think what we try to do in order to unite is we want to invite our parents to come join us. We talk about the parent partnership. And we tell our parents, we want you to come and join us, but you, but we really need you to stay within our, our boundaries. We want to give them borders. And when they overstep, we need to be able to communicate that with them. Uh, if they, if they do something that doesn't fit the, the the borders and the boundaries, we need to be able to communicate why. And I feel like my coaches and, and myself, we've done a good job of explaining to our parents, here's what we want you to do. Here's what we need you to do. and Here's why it's going to affect our team. And I really believe that we're getting more out of our players because our players know that our coaches and their parents are on the same page. And I think the, Two years ago, the most productive unity meeting that I've ever seen took place on our father son retreat. Our dads were sitting outside of the cabin, and one of them said, "Do you want me to tell you guys where most football games are won and lost?" And a couple of the dads chimed in, and they said, "Coaching." <laughs> and he said, oh, that, "That's one of them, but that's not the most." And he said, "Personnel or players. That's that's another one." but he said at the dinner table that the the reason I say that is because if you're not happy with your coach, if you're not happy with another teammate or you're not happy with your son's playing time or where he's positioned or whatever that may be. If your son knows that and you're vocal about it, you're, you're destroying the coach player relationship. If you're dropping and complaining in the stands, if you're yelling things that you shouldn't be yelling, you're destroying the unity of our shallow Christian family. And our dads got together that year and they said, we're not going to do that. We're going to change the way that we act. We're going to change the way we talk about coaches. We're going to change the way we talk about other players. We're going to change the way we talk to our own sons. Hmm. I'm just telling you, it it changed our season. And it it was the most united, the most healthy season I've ever been a part of until this year when our parents did it again. And they did it probably just as good or better. And so we're on to something with that, and that's you know I, I really feel like that's something that we're we're spending a lot of time, effort and energy trying to investigate to do it better each year and I think it's something that uh, that really does make a huge difference for not only our our play on the field but but even more so in every other aspect of our program.
0: I tell you, I'm going to use that. My wife and I are heavily involved in our high school football booster club, you know and A lot of that is because we believe in the coach, incredible guy. And, you know, we, and we talk about at Booster Club meetings about, you know, being supportive of the program, but I'm going to, I'm going to use that at the next meeting that football games are won and lost at the dinner table. Absolutely. I'm stealing that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, that is, I mean, that is, it's, uh, it's crazy how people act.
1: Yep. And I tell, as I said, and I'm a parent, so I can say this, but even our best parents can act a fool when it comes to their kids. And mm-hmm. no one is exempt. Myself, nobody's exempt. And we have to make sure we do that part of our jobs extremely well. We have to communicate on the front end. We have to be fair with our decisions. We've got to be competent if we ever get Incompetent, and we can't play the right guy, or we're not calling the right plays. You better believe you're going to get questioned. And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, at Shiloh, we got to bring our A game every day, every Friday night, and you know there is a sense of urgency every time we get up and go to work. That we've got to do a great job, or we're gonna we're gonna upset somebody, or we're we're not going to do our best, and that that's on us.
0: That's good. I, I think, and God truly honors that mentality of chasing excellence. Mm-hmm. So this next question is uh, more for asking for advice for a student athlete or a coach that's listening that um, understands athletics as a platform and wants to better use that platform to be bold in their faith. I
1: think, again, there's a lot of things that I wish I could do. You know, I wish I could do this by myself, or I wish I could have this platform or I wish I could say this and impact people. But what I've learned is, I can't do any of that very well and God's going to have to be the one to do that. And so I think if a coach or a player is wanting to have an impact, it's who I am in public is an absolute direct reflection of who I am in private. And if if I'm not spending time allowing God to teach me how to live by his instruction, if I'm not abiding with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit's not filling me, my platform's not going to be very big. Mm. But I really do believe that when I am in the spirit, when I am spending that time trying to please and trying to walk with the Lord, I feel like he gives me opportunities to share with people. It may not be a huge platform, but the platform will exist. And it goes back. I mentioned the sheep and the shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, he says, I'm the shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And I really do believe that when we're in the flock the right way, we know we hear his voice He tells us to share with somebody, Uh, we do it. But when we're not in the flock, we're not walking with Him. He tells us to share with somebody. Sometimes it's easy to ignore, and sometimes we don't even hear it. And so I think our platform grows with a direct relation to our our private life. And, uh, you know, Matthew 6 33. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. I really believe that that is so true that if our heart and our mind is right and it's seeking the kingdom first, God's going to give us some sort of platform to share with others.
0: That's good. Yeah, that's so true. Who we are in public is a reflection of who we are in private. Mm. Um, Good and bad.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I've had those bad ones, you know. Yeah, absolutely. some Some of the roughest years I've had coaching was because I wasn't very good in my private life. And, you know, it's, it's something that I, that, that is a fear. You know, I, I hope that that, uh, I would hate to regress and, and go back to those, those years where I just wasn't very good. I wasn't a very good husband or I wasn't a very good father. I wasn't a very good Christ follower. Um, so I, I have grown a little bit. I still got a long ways to go, but I can surely tell the difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've, you've quoted, several scriptures. So this is always a fun one for me to ask, because I usually go back and look over these. And um, is there one that you would call like your life verse, or is there one that uh, God has shown you recently in your life that you would share to encourage us? Yeah, mine
1: is uh, John fifteen five, and, and this is the illustration that Jesus gave his disciples on the last night that he walked the earth. He went over to grapevine and he showed them the grapevine and he said, I'm the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you will, you can do nothing. And so John 15, five is, is mine. My, my one word, you mentioned this early, but my one word is abide. Mm. It, It comes straight out of our discipleship program that we're going through. But I just feel so strongly about that word right now. Uh, another way of saying it is remain, remain in Jesus. Jesus. And I tell our kids, I I do an individual meeting with all of our players and and I talk about, you know, a cell phone and I say, do you guys have a cell phone? And they all say, yeah, we got a cell phone. And I say, have you, what happens to your cell phone if you forget to plug it in at night?
0: Mm.
1: They all say, well, it dies. And I say, well, how useful is it when it's dead? That's not a useful. You can't text, call, email. You can't play those little stupid games that we play. And, uh, and I say it becomes very unproductive. It doesn't bear any fruit. And I said, sometimes we take better care of our cell phone than we do our spiritual life. And wow. what I'm trying to make to them is if you're going to spend the time it takes to plug in and, and recharge and keep your phone connected to the source how much more do we need to plug in and and keep our spiritual lives connected to the source? And a lot of us are walking around like a dead cell phone. We're not being productive. We're not producing the kind of fruit that we're supposed to be producing because we haven't been recharged. We've not been connected to the source, which is Jesus and the spirit. So my word is abide. And I think John 15 five kind of shapes that up for me and and what I'm trying to do right now.
0: I like that. So let me ask you. So, What does that look like in a practical sense? We talk about, you know, being all in in our relationship with Christ. You know what I mean in in sports? And Jesus talks about denying ourselves. So What does that look like in a practical sense for you on a daily basis to abide, to remain?
1: Yeah, this is what it looks like for me. I've got to, it starts the night before. I have Mm. got to go to bed. And I'm not, I've never been one to stay up late, but I've got to go to bed at a decent hour because if, if I don't, it's gonna be harder for me to get up. But in order for me to abide with all the busyness that takes place in my life, I have to get up by five o'clock, 5.30 maybe. But if I'm not getting up early, it's very, very difficult for me to get the proper time that I need in the word, the proper time that I need to pray, the proper time that I need to journal. I mean, that that time right there, it when I do it the right way, it changes my day. And mm-hmm. why that's what abide means to me is I've got to not, not become legalistic, but got I've got to get in the word. I've got to allow the spirit to fill me. I have to surrender and submit every day. I mean, you just said it, but Luke 9, 23 through 25, it says, um, we must, if, if any man comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And I think that's what I'm doing in the mornings. I'm trying to deny myself and take it my cross. And so I abide for me. It starts there and then it kind of trickles throughout the day. I, I have to make sure that I'm in a conversation with the Lord. It's, it is very, very difficult for me because I do get busy and I forget. But, um, once I feel like I'm abiding, those decisions start becoming easier and making mm. sense and I'm a better husband and I'm a better father and I'm a better coach and better better boss. And um, I've just seen that that growth over the last few months and I've seen how it affects everything that I do. And when I don't get up and get the word and I don't pray and I'm not abiding, I'm just not a very good person. And it's frustrating. I wish I was, but I'm just not. And so that's, that's when I say I'm all in, that's on days that I'm all in, that's typically where it starts.
0: That's good. I'm exactly the same. If I'm not up by I go to work early. So if I'm not up by four, four thirty, 30, then the wheels are off for the whole day. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, I'm the same way. If I don't do it first thing, then I'm, I know guys that are night owls and they would rather do that at night. But if I go through my day, the last thing I want to do before I go to bed, I'm not going to sit there and go, okay. Oh yeah. Let me sit down and read my Bible and pray. I just, it's not in my DNA to do it that way. Um,
1: yeah, not much. So,
0: that's good stuff. Are you? A, do you do a lot of journaling?
1: Yeah. The the process that we're walking through right now, we use the STAR technique, the STAR scripture, thoughts, application, and response. And we get around the table with our coaches and, and that's what we read. We read hmm. what has God shared with you this week and, and we read our journals. As, as crazy as that sounds, it's it's really opened up the door for us to just go below the surface as far as scripture is concerned and, and our conversation with the Lord. And it's just been really powerful.
0: That's got, I was just challenged recently because journaling's kind of been one of those on and off again, things for me. And, you know, given what's going on in the world right now, we were talking, a buddy of mine and I were talking about the struggle we've had with journaling. It's like, you know what? Now is the time, yeah. you know, because of what's going on in the world, just if nothing else, just to get, just to look back 20 years from now. And go. What was mm-hmm. God doing through through that chaos that yeah. we're going through? That's Absolutely. good. I'm gonna take. I haven't heard the star um, method before. That's good. I just wrote that down. I'm gonna share that one. I'm, that's very good. Good deal, man. Hey, I know it's. Um, you know, everybody's busy now, so I'm, I appreciate you taking some time to to share your story. I know I've been encouraged, and and I know everybody listening will as well.
1: Well, thank you very much. I, I, too, have been encouraged. I hope that I've been transparent. Please know that I don't have it all figured out, you know, but it's easy to answer questions and, and act like you do, but I'm in the same battle as everybody's in. And I'm just trying
0: to abide. Awesome, man. That's good stuff. Thank you again to Coach Conaway for taking time to, to share your stories. I sit here and look over my notes. I'm trying to um, find a way to wrap this up quickly so we could talk for for a lengthy period of time on the conclusion, but I just want to say the the, the things that really stuck out to me: the word discipleship, the importance of discipleship, that um, having someone pour into me and me pouring into someone else. Um, just spending time with Jesus was was something that came out of this conversation a lot. About it. it's a decision um, the night before when you go to bed; you're making the decision the night before about getting up early to have that time with Jesus. Um, get in the Word. Um, pray. And something that's really um, challenged me is journaling. It's something I'm very weak at. But he talked about um, the STAR method, you know, the the Scripture, the thoughts, um, the application, and then your response. And his um, it's just an incredible... Practical method to journaling is you spend time in the Word each day to to think about what is the Scripture, what what are my thoughts, how can I apply this today, and how am I going to respond to it? So I would challenge you to um, approach your time with God in a, in using this method or or. Another similar method that, that you may find, but at the end of the day, it's a decision that you and I make to spend time with Jesus, and it's so important. Um, it talked about John 15, 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I remain in you, or if you abide in me, I abide in you. And the word abide means remain. and staying close, connected to Jesus. So I'm going to cut off the, the recap there because we could talk again for a long time. But I hope that you took notes in this episode. If you, um, I'd encourage you to go listen to it a second time because I know I, I've, I've done the same because it's really challenged me. And I'd ask you, as, as we typically do at the end of these, to, to share this with somebody. And also to, if you're not a subscriber, to to subscribe because there's a bunch of episodes previous to this one that... We'll challenge you, we'll encourage you, and there's, there's a lot coming. So I also would ask you to, to visit our website, allinsportsoutreach.org, or on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, type in All In Sports Outreach and find out who we are, why we do what we do. Send us a message. We love to hear from people. We love to interact. Um, so please do that. You can find out um, opportunities to pray for us, to serve, to give. The last thing I'm going to say was thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, encouragement, and prayers.